Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 178. Thank you for joining us. Today, Bonnie and I are joined by Katie Kimball of Kitchen Stewardship and the creator of Kids Cook Real Food Courses. We often think about how to get our children involved in the kitchen to greater or lesser success. Katie provides some great advice to make this more successful while providing tips on meal planning, budgeting, and preparation. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn, and podcast fanatic. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Stephen, what's a good word today? I was thinking about this a little bit. I think it's uh, it's going to be, I don't know why, celebration, celebration today. All right. I like it. Let's go with that. I'm very happy to get to introduce our guest today. It's a, a, a woman I've been following for a long, long time. It's a real joy to get to visit with her in person today. Katie Kimball of Kitchen Stewardship. Welcome to the Colby cast. Oh, thank you, Bonnie. It's so fun for me to meet people who have followed so long. Like you remember when my kids were little and, you know, we don't know each other, but we feel like we do. So that makes my day. Yes. It's a, it's a real privilege to get to visit with you. And I'm so grateful for all you've offered to us over the years. Your, your website is quite the storehouse of, of lots of wisdom and experience and, and all kinds of good stuff. Would you please tell us about yourself for our listeners who have not yet met you and, and your background and a bit about kitchen stewardship? Sure thing. Well, I am a mom of four. And back when I was just a mom of one, I sort of had my first conversion, so to speak, outside of faith, (laughs) the the real food conversion. And just when I was pregnant with my first, I think this is a story of a lot of moms too. You just realize that every bite you eat counts a lot more. And, you know, maybe I should actually think for half a second about what I'm putting in my mouth. And so that began just a really slow baby step bit by bit shift in what I ate. And then of course, once the baby was born, there's their body is so tiny and ratio wise, you're like, Oh my goodness, you know, they're only going to eat five bites at this meal. (laughs) Everyone should be really, really high quality and nourishing. And so our family was going through kind of a radical transformation. And I also knew that I couldn't be a full-time teacher and a full-time mom. So I, I had known since kindergarten that I was going to be an elementary teacher and I was, but only for two years, because then we started our family and, uh, it turns out when you take one income out of really young, just out of college, you know, two income family, you're often in the red. <laughs> so, you know, I ran the budget and I went, oh no, this is not good at all. And I was trying to think of some ways to make up a, just a little bit of money. I wondered about writing a book because as I was learning how to cook and spending a lot of time at the cutting board and making a lot of mistakes in the kitchen, my teacher brain was always going. Like other moms must be making these mistakes. Like how could I help them get a quicker path to to success, right? And so this idea of kitchen stewardship, that phrase really rattled around in my head because um, I, I really believe, of course, that God gave us all of our gifts, right? He gave us our families, our bodies that need to be nourished. He gave us our amount of time and our financial budget, and he gave us this good green earth. And it seemed really complicated to be a good steward of all of it at once, right? So if I wanted to cook healthier food, that was going to drain my time budget. 
And if I wanted to buy healthier food, that was going to drain my financial budget. And I thought, where, where are these habits and techniques that are sort of in the middle where we can save time and money and it's still healthy. And maybe by golly, we can even steward the earth at the same time. So kitchen stewardship was the idea in my head. I did not know that writing a book is a very, it is not a very fast path to making money. <laughs> and that was a terrible idea. Um, but I wrote to an editor at the Family Foundations magazine from the Couple to Couple League, right? The NFP group. And I don't know why I thought he would have time for me, but I asked him what he thought about my book idea. And he actually wrote back. And he basically <laughs> said, maybe you should write a blog and see if there's any audience for your idea. This is 2008. And I thought, what's a blog? Yep. I didn't even know. Um, but by February 2009, I had jumped in headfirst writing on kitchen stewardship. And I discovered that I didn't want to write a book anymore because I loved that interaction with the community. That was, you know, that was where I just sort of cut my teeth on how to teach adults how to live in the online space. And uh, and then I realized I wasn't actually eating very healthy at all because I started reading all the other, you know, natural real food blogs. And so then our family started just changing in leaps and bounds. And I was sort of recording that and sharing it with people and all of my failures. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I come across as fairly humble. Like every, yes. I'm, yes. I'm just like you. And that's why people tend to appreciate that baby steps approach. Like you don't have to do it all perfectly as it turns out, just do one right thing tomorrow. Uh, so that's kind of how I built kitchen stewardship. And that was almost 15 years ago now, which is so crazy. Somehow, I don't remember exactly how I came across your blog in the beginning, but the stewardship word stuck out to me. Like, that's not a word that you hear. It's kind of like an indicator. Like, I hear that word in Catholic context a lot. So I wonder about, I wonder if she's Catholic. And then, and eventually I discovered that, yes, you are. So that's always been something that has stuck with me. And I can see it coming through in your writing. It's not something that I mean, you do write about it. It's not front and center in every post, which the way you have integrated it, I really admire is that. Yeah. Thank you. I connect with a lot of Catholic readers who will say, you know, especially we went through a tough period last year. My mother was diagnosed with ALS and from diagnosis to death was only about eight months. And she lived mm -hmm. five of those months with us. And so obviously I just, I share my life. So I'm writing about that and the, the faith, it couldn't be excluded. So Catholic readers would write back and say, gosh, I love that you just threw out that you prayed to a saint. Like everybody does it. I'm like, I know, you know, or, or I love that you mentioned like the value and suffering and sacrifice because your Catholicity, you know, kind of shimmers in that line. And so I just, I am unabashedly me. I'm unabashedly Catholic. And luckily that does both attracts Catholics, but I don't think it really dispels others, which in this world is pretty rare. So I try very hard to strike that balance without apologizing for who I am and what I believe. Well, you're doing a beautiful job with that. You have quite the following and you've been featured in lots of lots of outlets and a lot of folks know you. How would you describe Kitchen Stewardship's mission now and how you accomplish that through your four pillars? Well, the four pillars of kitchen stewardship are your health and nutrition, your time, your budget, and your environment. And so it took me about eight years to figure out how to say what I do in one sentence instead of five, because I'm very verbose. So now I say I help families stay healthy without going crazy, right? It's all about finding that balance. And so kitchen stewardship has mostly for me become 
the community that I keep in touch with through email and all of the things I used to write, just because I've shifted a lot of my focus to helping whole families connect around healthy food with our kids cooking class and what I'm doing at, at Kids Cook Real Food. And part of that is just that um, the market was really flooded with real food blogs. Google started not treating people who wrote about natural health <laughs> very kindly. Um, so even though Kitchen Stewardship is still a good wealth of information, it's not where I spend the majority of my time because we have this whole new focus of teaching kids to cook. And that's, that's a, there's not very many people doing that. You know, there's not very many people saying like, let's get in the kitchen and not just the adults, but yes, the kids too, the whole family together. And, uh, and I still like to, you know, I talked about, I talk a lot about a heart of service and, and serving others and, um, you know, kindness and mission, mind and parenting, and just sort of that little spice of my faith over there too. I want to hear more about the kids cook real food and ways that we can get our kids involved in the kitchen. I really appreciate in particular your sensitivity to the parents' well-being, how the, how they themselves are doing, managing all that they have on their plates, um, all the, the circumstances they, they are in and as they are striving to provide this healthy food and environment for their families. And you have a real pragmatic way of accompanying folks. And it's not all at one time, like here, this light switch and, and go like that kind of, so I really appreciate that about that and uh, can see also how your faith informs that as well. And so, yeah, that's great. Um, I have four kids. They are 13 to 18 now. And so they being close in age, I was always looking for things to do with them as a group. And I read aloud to them a lot and we did stuff in the kitchen a lot. And I, part of that was encouraged largely by, by what you were offering on, on kitchen stewardship. So can we talk a bit about your, your course, kids cook real food and kind of how that came to be and how some steps were getting kids involved in the kitchen? Sure thing. Um, Gosh, when was this? 2015. My oldest is 18 as well. He just graduated high school. And back in 2015, he was in fourth grade and had to do um, a how-to speech. It was just kind of fluff for the end of the year to get kids in front. They could like, they could teach how to make chocolate chip cookies or how to raise a caterpillar to a butterfly, how to swing a baseball bat, like literally anything. And so I kind of mom pressured him, like, maybe you should do food. Like I I write about food, maybe you should do food. So he decided to make homemade guacamole, which had been his signature dish since first grade. And uh, I had to teach him how to use the chef's knife. That was the only part that I had always done for him. So he did, a, you know, he did a fantastic job and I got to be there because you actually cannot send a chef's knife in a backpack with a fourth grader. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Crazy, <that>. right? <laughs> so I was like one of the only parents who got to be there watching him. And I'm feeling very proud. And all the other adults, you know, the teacher and the person videotaping are like, when he right. whips the chef knife out and like pops the pit out of the avocado. Um, so I was very proud. But at the same time, I had a minor crisis of parenting because I realized that was the only thing he knew how to make. <laughs> he was 10. I thought, ooh, like I started out well, but the more kids I had, the less I was able to, like you said, you know, you kind of start to even out, I guess, average it out. You, <laughs> you do things that everyone can do, which means you're not teaching the 10-year-old the chef's knife until it's a school project. Um, so that for me was a defining moment thinking I am past the halfway point of parenting, right? 18 divided by two. And someday he's going to leave the house and he's going to know that eating vegetables is important. He'll know that having salad is important, but if he doesn't know how to cut the vegetables, right, or choose the right salad, then it's all for naught. So I wanted him, I wanted all my kids to learn how to cook. So I was really intentional about it that whole summer. And we ended up creating full curriculum 
and uh, turning that into the Kids Cook Real Food e-course. And it turns out thousands of other families need help in the kitchen, getting their kids in the kitchen too. So it's been it's been quite an amazing mission. And I've learned a lot. I've learned that there are benefits far beyond the tangible, far beyond the practical when you teach your kids to cook. We started with chocolate chip cookies, you know, not the healthiest thing, but that was where we started when my little ones were very little, you know, running the mixer and whatever. And then I can, I have a distinct memory of my eldest making scrambled eggs as, and so that was something that he learned to do early on. We didn't, we didn't attack the, the guacamole. He, he fortunately has learned his way around the kitchen pretty well. Other kids have too. Can you, can you say a bit more about how the course is, is structured for for families? Is this something that our homeschooling families can add into their days, sort of what, what's the timeline kind of look like? What, how would that work in a, in, for a Colby family, for example? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we tend to serve about half homeschooling families just because homeschoolers know what a curriculum is and they're kind of looking for it. Um, But before I talk about my course, like, let me just be clear that I want to see all kids cooking, right? Whether you DIY that or whether I get to help what matters is that the kids should be in the kitchen. They should be having exposure to food. Like that helps picky eating symptoms kind of start to dissipate because they get used to the the smells and sights and sounds of food before they have to worry about it going into their mouth, which is the scary part for some of our selective eaters. Uh, we know that it raises confidence. We've seen time and time again in our members and in my own household, when you have, when you're able to do an authentic task, right? Like you're feeding someone else, you're nourishing a human person that is so much above and beyond just like drawing a great picture or getting a good score, you know, on your math or nailing your Latin, (laughs) for example. Um, There's such a great feeling of doing real authentic skills that they see adults do. So even if you can just get, you know, your kindergartner measuring a teaspoon of salt, that's the next step, right? You said that I, I acknowledge that families are busy and reality is that you, you might not want to put teach my kids to cook on your to-do list. That could be a little overwhelming, yes. but you know, teach the little ones to measure a teaspoon of salt. You can do that. And then they can help in so many different meals, right? So like you said, scrambled eggs is a great one. Flipping pancakes. That's a really good one to teach your kids, by the way, because flipping pancakes takes forever, especially (laughs) if you have a bigger family. And especially at first when kids learn a new skill, they're really motivated to do it. So you're like, oh, we should make pancakes. Do you want to practice your flipping skills? They're like, yes. And you're like, I just saved (laughs) you. This is a win-win, you know? (laughs) Um, So the bottom line is thousand percent, make sure all your kids are building kitchen skills bit by bit by bit. And if you do need help, right, if you want someone to have already put the skills in a logical order and have some recipes attached to them, that's where our e-course comes in. As a, as a mama for myself, I had trouble too finding things that everyone could do together. And so that's why I created the class with a beginner level and intermediate and an advanced. But if you have kids in all those three levels, what they do, what they learn on the same day at their developmental level sort of merges. So like the first day of class, the little kids will learn to peel carrots and cucumbers. The medium-sized kids will learn to make a homemade ranch dip. And the big kids will learn to cut carrots and celery and cucumbers. So it's like kind of comes together in this little snack that everyone has participated in and contributed to. Um, so that's that's kind of the, the basics. We use video lessons. They're professionally filmed and edited because it's really hard for kids to watch live cooking. It takes forever. <laughs> and they can't keep up anyway. And it's just, there's a lot of disconnect. 
So we find it's better for them to watch like the edited version with the teaching. And we have a lot of like fun phrases that help kids, you know, learn what to do and have this repetition built in. Then they can go into the kitchen with the parents. Ideally, it's supposed to be a family togetherness thing, which is great for our, home, you know, our homeschooling community um, and then practice their skills. And uh, it's also, I really designed it with food allergies and sensitivities in mind. So I take a skills over recipes approach for a number of reasons, but allergies is one where like, I want the kids to have this toolbox of skills so that they can find just about any average recipe and say, yeah, I can do that. As opposed to, I know how to make nine things, uh-huh. you know? Um, yeah. But that also lends itself to, if we're, you know, if we're doing that skill of spreading, for example, is another early skill for our preschool kids. So we spread butter and peanut butter on bread. Well, If you're gluten-free, that might not be a very exciting skill, but you use the same skill of spreading for ants on a log, right? Cream cheese. And we just give lots of, if you're allergic to nuts, then do cream cheese. If you're allergic to dairy, do sun butter. You know, there's always an adaptation and we try to provide as many as possible where the child can practice the skill regardless of what food fits their body. I like that, the adaptability that applies to so many other things. In life. Yeah. So if families have bigger kids like mine who are not quite as comfortable in the kitchen yet, I like that word yet, how, how do you like to introduce to them the idea of come on in here and do this with me, or you can do this for yourself. I find that to be so, so hugely helpful. It's not lost on me how awesome it is for my kids to be able to make their own breakfast, lunch, dinner when I'm busy doing something else. And uh, so they don't, they don't just, that doesn't just magically happen. So how, what kind of invitation, how do you like to phrase that? And uh, maybe even a word for the parents who might be a bit like, that's going to make a mess. It's going to take a long time. I don't have time for that part, that, that whole situation. Yeah. That's two big questions. So the first question is how do you motivate the kids, particularly the older ones at the eye rolling stage where the parents, I mean, suddenly know nothing. to to the children, right? Like they hit this certain phase and we know nothing. Um, So of course, if we ask them to do something, it's the opposite of what they want to do. There are a few ways to sort of motivate older kids. I'd say pending um, personality, right? And kind of depending on your relationship. So one of them is to talk about the future. If they're, if they're kind of close to that and they're thinking about the future and, and I think as a mom, like I want my kids post launch, post 18 or 20 or whenever they leave the house to be able to be focusing on their career, their service, their vocation, their family, right? And not like, oh my gosh, how do I feed myself? Right. So that can be motivating for me. I would think for an older teen, that might be a little motivating too. Why don't you learn to cook and make all your mistakes while I'm here to hold the fire extinguisher, you know? <laughs> the, either the you know, analogic fire extinguisher, the metaphoric fire extinguisher, or the real one. Um, I think serving others can be a really motivating thing for all ages. So if you've got, you know, a party, a potluck, a church dinner, something like that, if you can figure out how to get that kid, pay them if you have to get the kid to be part of that, because then when other adults, you know, are able to be told like, well, Paul made the guacamole, they will naturally compliment the child. And then it's not you. Right. And so they get the compliments and then it's the little bit of a snowball effect of like, oh, like that felt good. I got my dopamine hit. Perhaps I would come back into the kitchen. Um, choice is a big one. You know, if you could make dinner, you would get to choose what we eat for that night. 
right? <laughs> That's what my kids always say when they're asked. Sometimes they're in on interviews like this with me and always they say, what's your favorite thing? And I don't know why my kids are never ready for that. They're always like, um, uh, we like lots of food. I'm like, you guys pick a favorite thing before you get <laughs> the interview. And, and they almost always ask like, why do you think it's cool that you know how to cook? And that's what my kids say is that we get choice. And, you know, even if we're making stir fry, mom's assigned it, I can leave the mushrooms out <laughs> or like my oldest will stand there and he'll cut mushrooms if they're in the dish for like, like 20 minutes. And so that they're minuscule and you can't see them because he doesn't like <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> um, so you get a lot of choice and agency, mm -hmm. you know, when you learn how to cook. So ideally just getting them started is the important part because then that like authentic confidence will, will start to take over fingers crossed. Yes. Yeah, sure. And then what was your other, your other I question? think, and you're right. I'm one of my special skills is asking a whole bunch of questions all at once all wrapped up. So yes, that happened just now. So for parents who are a little bit wary of getting their kids in the kitchen with them for uh, very valid concerns of like the extra time it takes to do this instruction or the mess it might make all those sorts of things. I think you probably can guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. Parentals, <laughs> parental psychological roadblocks are many go. and you miss yes. the one of, I like being in the kitchen by myself where it's well, quiet. Mm -hmm. Don't forget that one. Yeah. Time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I know the parents are right now are in their kitchen by themselves with the earbud <laughs> and going, Oh, yep. This is me. Um, so, so the thing is like, I am messy in the kitchen. I am quite messy. Like all, cooking is always messy. So the messy one, you just kind of have to forgive and get over and realize that when you teach your kids cooking, cooking skills, you can teach them cleanup skills as well. They will be slower. And so that's where the ninja tip of never teach a kid something new right before dinner comes yeah. in. Okay. Like that is the worst time. And so again, for the homeschooling families, it's beautiful. I would say right after breakfast or right after lunch, when they're fed, when they're happy and they're already in the kitchen, that's when you teach something new. Okay. And then at dinner, you can say, Oh, I need someone you know, with peeling skills or with cutting skills or with flipping skills. What, what did you learn yesterday? You know, during our cooking minute and homeschool day or whatever. And they're like, Oh, I learned flipping. Great. Come on in. Right. And then, th then they're actually saving you time, especially after the first few. So never teach something new right before dinner. You, you do have that time, you know, in your homeschool day and then let them, let them rehearse and let them repeat and recite and practice. Um, during dinner time and eventually, and it doesn't actually take very long, you do start getting time back, right? So the busy schedule, you think if you normally have 45 minutes to make dinner, don't insert the kids into that 45 minutes until they have the skills to make it 35 minutes because it's totally possible when you've got especially multiple kids helping at once. If your kitchen is small, that's another roadblock, send the kids to the table because that's actually a better height for them physically anyway, kind of that belly button height is where the surface should be. So if a, an elementary child is standing at a table, it's better than them standing at the counter because then they don't need a stool, you know, and they're out of your elbow space, which is very important. <laughs> um, so, the, so the psychological parent roadblocks, they're all surmountable, especially if you don't teach right before dinner. And especially if you keep like, keep your eye on the prize, right? Like it's hard to teach kids to read. It's hard to potty train. Like lots of things are hard, but they're very, very worth it because we don't want to send a kid off to, you know, high school or college, not potty trained. We, we should feel the same way about cooking, really, that we would be embarrassed to send a child out of our home off into their adult life, not knowing some basic cooking skills and be willing to invest that time. 
glad that you asked that, Bonnie. And I'm also glad that you left my name out of the initial question. You could have just said, <laughs> no. if you're somebody like Steven, no. <laughs> who, <laughs> that's me. I, that And you, you, Katie, you you hit on that as well. It's like the quiet time before dinner, glass of wine, uh, maybe the earbuds in on that um, that podcast I wanted to catch up on. And, and it's like, oh, okay, well, that's gone then. But I like, I, what, for whatever reason, I hadn't thought about the, let's learn a skill beforehand. And then there's actual usefulness when there's the crunch of, I've got to get dinner on the table too. I, that Yeah, that makes sense. I should have thought of that, but I, I had not. And I was not thinking of you. No, in honesty, I was really not. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you described me, all of, all of those concerns were mine. So, so it was perfect. Aww. Here's a schedule to be, I don't know what to look up to, I guess, to be inspiring. Seven dinners in a week. My husband makes one. Paul, the 18-year-old, makes one. Leah, the 15-year-old, makes one. Just this fall, we're starting John, the 12-year-old, on making one. There's only three left for me. So I can have the glass of wine and the earbuds and my feet up, Stephen. Just saying. (laughs) Goals. Okay. Or I can do an interview at five, or I can go shopping or go for a walk while dinner mm. is being made. That's pretty powerful motivation. Possibilities, yeah. That's so too, though, right before dinner, that's that's a tough time of day in many respects. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> so true, yeah. Yeah, and I, I tend not to think about this, but hearing you describe cleaning up the mess, that's every bit as important, How learning how to clean up after ourselves, keep our environments clean, clean kitchens, you know, the rest of the house, of course, too, but food safety and cleanup. That's all. We want them to know that too. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, so you get so your family has a, a sweet setup with the, the cooking rotation. Do you, how do you like to help people get started with like meal planning and getting the family involved with that sort of stuff? Yeah. When it comes to that whole idea of kitchen stewardship, I cannot even count how many meal planning posts I've written because it always comes back to that. Like, how do you save time and money and cook healthy? Like if you're not meal planning, you have a handicap, right? On everything you're doing for dinner, because, because a good meal plan uh, can do so many things like walking to the kitchen at 5 PM and not knowing what's for dinner is just this horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach. Like, Oh gosh, it just really sucks the joy out of cooking and usually makes the meal late. (laughs) <laughs> which continues to suck the joy out of the household. If mom's a little stressed, everyone feels distressed. So for time's sake, meal planning is very important. Also for, for money's sake, meal planning is very important. So like one way to make sure you are saving money on your food budget is to not throw away food that you purchased, right? And we throw away food that we've purchased when we don't have a good plan to use up all of our perishables and all of our leftovers. So for example, if I'm going to buy a big bag of spinach and I know I'm going to use half of it in a meal, by golly, two or three days after that, I'm going to definitely have another meal planned that uses the rest of the spinach, right? Or we do green smoothies at breakfast or something. Um, and then I do I do a lot of cook once, serve twice hacks. So if I'm cooking, um, like right now for tonight, we're making egg roll in a bowl, which uses a pound of ground pork. Well, I thought two pounds of ground pork because I'm going to brown them up at the same time, right? Two pounds takes the exact amount of time as one pound. I'll take half out. 
I'll turn half of it quickly into um, homemade sausage, just adding some seasoning and either freeze that for easy breakfast or a really easy pasta meal, right? Jarred sauce, pasta, and some already cooked sausage that's ready in 15 minutes or in a day or two, my meal plan will kick in again. I haven't done it yet because it's Friday and I meal plan on Sundays, um, but that'll kick in and then I can use that meat and I'm 10 minutes ahead that day because I don't have to brown the, the meat, right? Does that make sense? I do yeah. the same thing with rice a lot, where if I'm making rice, I will double the rice and use it in another kind of meal that calls for cooked rice a couple of days later. And it just, that sort of like gives you this flow to the week, as well as an expectation for your grocery budget, where you kind of know what you're going to spend. You can buy in bulk because you're using simple things like rice and ground meat. Um, so that meal planning in that way really helps the budget really helps the time. Um, and I think it helps our nutrition as well, because it's easy to forget things like a side vegetable. If you don't, you know, or incorporating veggies in the meal, if you don't meal plan well, you know, I, I tend to look at my meal plan and I'll try to make sure I have chicken once a week and beef once a week and a meatless meal once a week. Cause those meatless meals really help the food budget. Of course, the, you know, I cook with dry beans. So that's even a bigger savings over buying canned beans. Um, plus you're not shipping the weight and throwing away the cans. So there's where the environmental stewardship comes in. So we do use a lot of dry beans. Um, and in fact, one more tip on shaving the budget, like we have tacos once a week. So that's a, that's a mental load thing where every Wednesday we have RE, right? We have religious education at church. We got to be there at six. And so my husband said he would cook that day and he'll just make tacos every week, right? He's a more timely person than me. I'm, I would I would have dinner too late and then we'd be running to church and we'd be very stressed out. Um, so every Wednesday we have tacos and we do a pound of meat and an equivalent of cooked lentils and mix those together and just serve it as the taco meat. And so he'll cook up the lentils. We actually soak the lentils and sprout them for improved nutrition, which takes like two minutes a day. We cook up like five batches at once freeze them. And so then it's just the time on taco night is just browning the beef, throwing in the lentils, adding the seasoning and done. Um, but that way, instead of two pounds of grass fed, good quality beef at like six to $8 a pound, the lentil half is probably like 74 cents. So that's a really big savings. Um, and, and it's different kind of nutrition too, right? So there's fiber in the lentils and there's various nutrients that you're not getting in the, in the beef, although the beef has great nutrients as well. So that's, that's one thing we do. And our kids actually are so accustomed to it. They think it's kind of weird to just have taco beef <laughs> without the lentils in it. So, so far, this is really kind of, I should have had, we should have had you on like at the beginning of the summer, because you're, you're just describing my family situation where I'm the primary, or I have been the primary cook. So for me, I was, I just have the things I can make, but you get to, for me, I got to the point where every time I cook something, it's like, oh, we're having this again, or we're doing this. And it's like, that takes some of the joy out of cooking when you when you spend the time. So at the beginning of this summer, I have five children. My oldest, I, now I can't do it. Twenty to twenty to nineteen, twenty to nine is are my five. So we decided all the kids would do one meal during the week, and then my wife and I would handle the weekends too. And with helping some of the smallest ones, you know, having a, a helper for some of the smaller ones. But um, so that kind of worked a little bit, but, but I'm, now I'm getting the advice that would have made that much more successful. And I know I'm sure we'll be getting into this, but 
an, an additional challenge for us is I've got, you know, one child that can't have dairy, another child that can't have tree nuts, um, another child that can't have gluten, corn, soy. No, she can't have soy. Can't, can't have gluten, corn, dairy, uh, <laughs> oranges, sesame. Um, so then it's trying to figure out what are we going to do and um so all of this would have been really really nice but now it's still it's still handy but we've got some experience with the, what doesn't work exactly now as well so. yeah juggling all those allergies is i think becoming more and more of a concern for more and more families they are definitely more prevalent than they were you know decades ago when when we were kids and uh i think the deconstructed meal or like the bar idea can be the best meaning if you're having stir fry you know, you do the rice or the quinoa or whatever the base is, you have the meat, you have the veggies, you have the sauce, and it can all be separate. And that's great, both for allergies and sensitivities and for our more selective eaters, sometimes called picky eaters, although I don't love that phrase. And you can do the same thing with pasta. Um, we teach this whole pasta salad bar, which is great for a busy night. You cook the pasta beforehand, right? It's cold. And then you just put out a variety of proteins, you know, it could be meat or beans and some veggies, some cheese toppings that the you know, the dairy, the non-dairy people don't have to have and a couple of different dressings and everyone makes their own. It looks completely different and it, it fits, you know, it fits for everyone. You can do the same thing with build your own pizza, baked potato bar, um, all sorts of stuff where you're serving the bits separately. And that also lends itself to like, Hey, nine-year-old, you prepare these two parts, right? 12-year-old prepare these two parts and they can kind of stay within their skill set too. I really like that idea of having the elements there. Is it, do you find that on the timing, like, is there a certain kind of sequencing strategy? I like to think about sequencing of prep. Like I can have this going while I'm doing this other thing. Do you have sort of a, if it, I could, I don't know. I'm, I guess I kind of get hung up sometimes. Like if I'm going to make several things to set forth for, you know, choose what you want of this, is that I would be doing that anyway. I'm just not combining it, the final step, or is it, am I adding extra extra to my prep time that I need to kind of factor in. Does that make sense? I don't know. It does. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think deconstructing a meal or serving for preferences or sensitivities necessarily adds time. It, it's all the pieces that you would normally serve mixed together just separately. And of course the cook once served twice. Like if that can be the pasta salad bar, we just did that this week. And then every kid went back through with their lunch container, oh, no. right? Or you or a homeschool lunch, right? You just get it all back out. And there's so, because there's so many choices, there's always leftovers, almost always leftovers. <laughs> um, and then that can become a really easy lunch. And it doesn't, for kids who don't like the same thing two times in a row, right, are like more adventurous people, they can make totally different choices. Nice. You know, like Italian dressing one time and ranch the next and different proteins, like it's a completely different dish. So I don't think it takes more time. Um, it's great. You talked about planning, like when you do what, when you cook, which piece. And when we think about, you know, raising our kids and once they're about age 11, they start to build that executive functioning processing, right. Where they can goal plan and they can think about schedules and timing and stuff like that. And so actually planning to make a meal and when to do each bit is really, really good for kids that age to practice that muscle of executive functioning and sitting down and talking, you know, with the parent of, when do I do this? And when do I do that? And what do I need to, if I have to store it, you know, what do I put it in? Um, we went, my husband and I were blessed to go on a 20th anniversary trip. We left for a week. And again, my oldest was 18 
they said they don't want grandma and grandpa over (laughs) that they would rather run it themselves. And we're like, okay, I think you can handle this. And our 15 year old daughter, she ran everything. And when I got home, she said, you know, mom, I just had a routine. I got up and I would water my garden and then I would cut all of our raw veggies and make sure we had some dips and dressings ready for the evening. And I'm like, that is, she is so much smarter than me because <laughs> I'm, I get to the end of making the, the hot part of dinner and I'm like, okay, it's dinner time. Oh, wait, I forgot to cut the lettuce. I forgot to cut the carrots. I forgot to cut the cucumbers, you know? So she would have the whole like sectioned platter of veggies just in the fridge and ready again, smarter than me. I'm proud of her. But that would be a good tip for any any family to prep that maybe during homeschool day so that the hot part of dinner runs a little more smoothly. That's great. So you mentioned you meal plan on Sunday. So do you, you've built that into your schedule. That is, this is my meal planning time. Do you, so do you have to In have- In a perfect world. <laughs> ideally, well, sure, <laughs> of course. on Sunday. <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. So do your, your family members, knowing that they have a night of dinner- like they, are they part of that conversation? Do they have to tell you in advance that like, how does, what's that look like? Well, for the kids, it was very much a a stair-stepped sort of hand-holding gradual release of responsibility process. And uh, we're about to to do this again. So basically when we started our kids cooking, it was because I wanted to volunteer with high school youth group at church, but that was five to seven on Sunday nights. And my husband said, no, absolutely not. Uh, there's no way you're going to have dinner ready before you go out the door. You're going to be throwing like half cooked meat at us and saying, finish it. I'm going to church. (laughs) That's not very holy. And I'm like, oh man, but I really (laughs) want to volunteer for these high school kids. So my oldest kids, Paul and Leah, they were 12 and nine at the time. So I sat down with them and I said, like, I'd really like to do this, but dad said, I can't (laughs) because I wouldn't have dinner ready. Can you guys be on my team? We'll be like serving as a family. And it was only every other Sunday at that time. And we often, but not always would have homemade pizza on Sundays. I said, what if we, you guys learn our grain-free, dairy-free homemade pizza recipe. And you just do that every time. So you don't have to think about it. You just kind of have to do the work. And so that's what we did. We had a day in August before youth group started where I made the whole recipe and I just narrated everything and they watched And as my set of pizzas were baking, then we switched and they did everything while I watched and maybe like tweaked, oh, don't forget this or don't forget that. And then the very next week I'm off to youth group and, you know, they had to do it completely themselves. But what was beautiful about that is they really got mastery. Like they knew 417, we have to be in the kitchen. They knew they'd have 10 minutes to play cards while I was cooking. They had a playlist, like it was really sweet. And they really bonded too as as siblings, which is another side benefit of getting the kids in the kitchen. And uh, so that whole year they did pizza. Then the next year youth group went to every week. And I said, this is great. Why don't you do pizza every other week? And we'll start some light meal planning. You can choose some other recipes in between. Right. And so then we would sit down like at least three or four days before, and I would talk them through those executive functioning skills of, okay, what ingredients do you need? Do we have them all? Does mom need anything on her grocery list? Do you need to thaw some meat? If you do, what day do you need to get it out of the freezer and put it into the fridge? And so they really had to to learn, but it was, like I said, it was very light. It was one meal every other week, which was good for me too, because it takes a lot longer to sit down with two kids and talk that through than it does to plan myself. Um, so they did They did a fantastic job and now both of them are, are capable of cooking themselves. So now we have a new 12 year old and so he's gonna cook the same meal 
you know, once a week, he's taken over the tacos for my husband, actually. <laughs> so hopefully well, if we're replicating that. Hopefully it'll be really good and he'll get that mastery feel and then he can sort of level up. But it's, yeah, it's very much, again, holding hands and then starting to release and starting to back off and letting them take control. That that seems like the challenging part to me as a, you know, as a person who's just done it for a long time. And just this last week actually had a case where it wasn't possible for anybody to be looming over one of our cooks and everything was fine. It, it, it all came out well, but, but I, I don't think until that necess- necessity came up for me that it was just really hard as a parent or well, for maybe not as a parent, just as who I am to, to just kind of step back and say, no, you, you got this. Even if you mess it up, I mean, it's big deal. I mean, it's still going to be edible. So it's not going to be, there's there far enough along, but any advice for uh, parents like myself who need to let go a little bit? Um, our, our middle intermediate class, the skill that they do is making a full recipe by themselves. And we, we do a whole sort of joking bit where I'm like, I am not touching anything, you know? And then I kind of reach in like, let me just pick up your, and they're like, no, okay. Right. And so then that's the whole idea is we, I know that parents need that. So in our classes, we challenge them to choose a recipe. So sometimes it needs to be, um, you have to just make the break. Like you have to schedule something where you're out of the house. If if you're sort of a helicopter personality, for some people they might want to be, you know, one room over in earshot, reading their book or doing their Bible study or, you know, something when they're scrolling on Facebook, whatever. <laughs> um, just in case the kids need help. But but I would say again, it's that mental roadblock of teaching kids to cook. Oh, that sounds so big, but it's so important, and letting them have that agency is also so important. But if, but if you've taught them well, right? And you've talked through many a meal with them, it's time to just kind of let them let them fly. But you may need to leave the house and schedule something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so do you plan once a week then? I sometimes I see folks and I'm like, wow, they plan 2 3 4 weeks in advance. I'm like, oh goodness. And there have been brief periods in my life where we have had a meal plan for probably 2 weeks, but and that's awesome for the time being, like, I know what we're going to have next week. And then if we decide that we don't want that that day, we can switch it to a different. Anyhow, that's not the case these days. I have my, my meal plan now is um, uh, not much to speak of. So what's your frequency of meal planning? I'm generally once a week, but I go in phases too, where there are times where I'm like a day in advance, but you feel it. You feel a little more frazzled and unraveled when mm-hmm. you don't have it. So um, a lovely thing happened Last year, when uh, when our kids celebrate their baptismal birthday, we get their baptism candle out, we light it, we pray for them, and we also give them a new privilege and a new responsibility mm-hmm. every year. Mm-hmm. And so they those have ranged from you now have the ability to cross the street by yourself, right, to you can start using Instagram or, you know, like really different things. And, and then responsibilities would be like taking out the trash is now your, your responsibility or washing the table after meals. So last year when my daughter was a freshman, she said, you know, mom, I'm the first one awake because, oh gosh, we're not homeschoolers. <laughs> High school starts so early. It's horrible. She said, I'm the first one awake and I don't like not knowing what's for breakfast. Right. I don't like having to figure it out in the morning. I don't like feeling like maybe should I wake you up? I'm like, yeah, I don't like being woken up yeah. either <laughs> to find out what's for breakfast. So she's like, I really want to make a breakfast meal plan and I would like to do it. Can that be my new responsibility? 
So she got out a little a whiteboard calendar and filled out a breakfast meal plan. And it sort of lent itself to, oh, I could fill out, you know, a dinner meal plan on the, the bottom of each calendar square. And then it was actually an accountability buddy in a way, right? Uh, that she yeah. would sit on Sunday and do her breakfasts. And then she'd look up and say, do you want to tell me some dinners? I'll write them down. And so it was, that really helped me because she had, she had that need. She really wanted to know about breakfast. And so that has helped me a lot. I'm generally once a week, sometimes you get going and you're like, you're, you know, I'll have my freezer list in front of me with all the meats that we have and, you know, whatever, I know what produce we have coming and I'll accidentally plan for 10 or 12 days. I'm like, oh, that was a lovely surprise, you know? So I'm, I am not a very structured person. But whenever I t- teach people meal planning, I say minimum, just do three days, at least give yourself three days in advance so you can feel what it feels like, you know, to plan that and do a little bit of that connected meal planning where you're using a bit from one meal in another meal so as to both save time and reduce food waste. Yeah, nice. That makes sense. I love that. that having a good breakfast to look forward to helps get the day going. Like, yeah, I'm ready to get up because there's something yummy waiting for me or yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. And I, I really admire that uh, approach you have to celebrating the baptismal days in, in many respects and, and, and adding the responsibilities and privileges. There's something about living well, the baptismal call, you're living out your, your vocation as where you are as a person right now in your development and as a baptized Christian marking the occasion like that in that manner, I think speaks to that living out your baptismal call. I like the idea of cooking extra. I certainly feel like I've given myself a gift when I have, when I make two pans of masacholi or something and there are ones in the freezer and like, Oh, yay. That seems like a very practical way of doing a lot of batch cooking and stocking up without devoting an entire day to the batch cooking process, which also seems very daunting in many respects to me. What what do you think about that? Yeah. You know, I loved that idea of batch cooking when I first heard of it. And back when, oh my goodness, our our babies were babies, (laughs) a good friend and I, um, a good friend and I had kids at about the same time. And so they were probably about two. And we decided to do one of these like 30 day, like batch cook a whole month. Yeah. Holy buckets. Mm-hmm. It was it was so much work. And because we were using someone else's plan from from a book and <laughs> not even the internet, we didn't we found out we didn't always like the meals. And I was like, oh my gosh, when you make the meal, you still have to think of some sort of side vegetable. You still might want a salad or rub veggies. There's still dishes. So I was sort of disenchanted on like the big, big batch cooking process. Um, I think for families, batch cooking a week's worth, like taking a Sunday you know, in batch cooking, maybe it's four meals because then you can have a leftovers meal, right? Or a planned sort of clean out the fridge meal. That's probably a really, really wise thing, particularly if you're incredibly busy during the week. Um, and I've seen I've seen photos of some of our Kids Cook Real Food eCourse members doing that. They were like, oh my goodness, this used to take me three hours every Sunday and now it takes two Nice, because they have more chefs, you know, sous chefs in the kitchen with knives and cutting boards. And so that is a beautiful thing. And, and maybe if the kids have that in their schedule, it's not like a surprise every day. Oh, I got to help with dinner again. You know? So I do think, I do think that could be really, really helpful, but you definitely have to plan well, you know, know how to store what's cooked or what's prepped. I think a lot of people just do the prep so that all the veggies are cut and then, and then they'll cook it up quickly the day of, um, 
So, but that's what, I mean, that's, what's beautiful about cooking, right? Is there's so many ways to do it that fit your personality. So for me, like quote batch cooking is just cooking a little bit extra on one day or a little bit extra on another. And that was my, you know, hybrid version to give myself those tiny little gifts more often, but not have to, you know, for me, it's like, oh my goodness, if I needed to batch cook every weekend, what if you have a busy weekend? Right. Yeah. Then your whole system's off and you feel frazzled again. So it didn't work for me, but I think it's fantastic for a lot of people. And I can definitely see like a homeschooling Friday afternoon, you know, be that that would be a great time to sort of batch cook for Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday or something. Mm-hmm. It seemed like yeah, we ended up kind of in a different scenario than, well, I guess you could still do the batch cooking, but when we had to go with so many food allergies and just realizing we needed to try to simplify, you know, and utilize what was fresh and good because of all of those things that became the ruling thing. So now, fortunately, we have a garden so we can do some of that ourselves rather than the local farmer's market when we're in California. But that would kind of be the determining factor. It's like, oh, look, this is coming. This is needs to be harvested this week. So I guess we're having this, right? So yeah, our batching wouldn't have done particularly well, I guess, once we moved right. to that. And people meal plan, there's like two reversals on meal planning too, is a lot of people will plan their meals, make their shopping list, go to the store. Okay. I'm the totally opposite. I like to go to the farmer's market and buy stuff. And I sort of, by now, I sort of have a sense of how to not buy too much. And then I plan. And so that's what like Stephen, yours would be is what's in the garden. We're going to plan informed on that. And then if there's too much to use for a week, you probably have ways to freeze or preserve or you know, use in some alternative ways so that you're not wasting. And it's just, uh, there's lots of different ways to meal plan. Well, it's a good lesson in, in what's in season. Mm-hmm. Is there anything we haven't covered yet? Any other tips you wanted to share with us that we haven't touched on yet? Well, Bonnie, I don't always get to be overt about my Catholic faith, like you were talking about. And so I've got to, I mean, I've got to go back to that. And that there's that big question, a constant question for everyone, like what is healthy, what's healthy and what's not right. And so the, the plainest and simplest is that if you're making it in your house with ingredients that God created, that grow in the ground, that eat things that grow in the ground, well, that's gotta be healthier, you know? And, and I think about, you know, Pope John Paul, St. Pope John Paul II and his theology of the body, like he uses the signs in our physical body to point to the fact that clearly what God said is true and how he created us has this purpose and that purpose, right? For man and woman are different, but we can do the same thing with, with health and food, right? When we look at our bodies and how they process different foods, we can say, oh, like clearly science tells us our bodies that God created say that the food God created is what is good for us. And the food that man is creating in, you know, scientific labs and factories and stuff, maybe, just maybe, (laughs) that's not exactly what's going to nourish us the best. And so, so as Catholics, we, we've got to think of stewarding our bodies and, and allowing our body to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean that your eating needs to be perfect. It doesn't mean you could never have the ice cream cone. You know what I'm saying? Like God, God talked about wine as a sign of joy. He didn't use water for his first miracle and for his, you know, the trans transubstantiation wine is a sign of joy. And so we can have joy in food, but part of that joy can come from community and making that food together and kind of working shoulder to shoulder with our kids and with our spouses toward a common goal. And there's so much beauty 
there's so much beauty in our kitchens. There's so much beauty in the feeling of, you know, especially growing your own food, Stephen, which I have many brown thumbs. I don't grow food well, <laughs> but I love going to the farmer's market and seeing all, you know, the beautiful colors and the diversity of creation and thinking, how can we, how can we capture this and use it for our good and, and listen to our bodies? Like, again, I have a daughter who doesn't do well with dairy either. And Stephen, you've obviously discovered lots of food no-nos for your kids, but you can, you can only do that by listening to your body and by looking at, you know, the way God has created you and saying, okay, like right now, my body and this food do not get along. And maybe someday we can heal and get through that. And maybe someday we won't, but we want to give our, give ourselves the best, you know, out of, out of all creation. And so I, uh, I get frustrated sometimes because in the natural health world, a lot of people are really close to good stewardship and God's creation, you know, they're like, meditate. I'm like, you should just pray. <laughs> like you're spending an hour meditating. Are you kidding me? Most Catholics don't spend an hour in prayer. Like you're so close or they'll say, oh, the universe gave us this or evolution gave us that. And I'm like, oh, like you're, you're right on the cusp of your everything in faith, except God, <laughs> like just go over the edge. So, so I, you know, that's what I do is I like to, to look at that. And what is science learning about our bodies and learning about our food, but it all to me points back to exactly how, what God created, that science and faith are not exclusive in any way. They tend to walk side by side and hand in hand. And, and I don't think we have to be afraid of, of science or fad diets or whatever. We just need to look at them through that lens of faith. And it can be a beautiful thing. Beautiful. So maybe maybe that celebration word is coming back to me because what a what a glorious thing, right? Where when you've got your loved ones around and beautiful food that God has given us, what I mean, what could be and a glass of wine? What could be better than than that? You know, it's I mean, okay, it's fantastic. It it is a celebration of sorts. I love that. I didn't even think of that as your word of the day, but that's yep. perfect. Put <laughs> it all together. What a joy this conversation has been. Where can folks find you online, Katie, and, and all of your offerings, your courses, and, and all you have to offer us? For sure. Well, for the adults, the what's healthy, what's not, how do we balance our time, health, environment, and budget? Did I get the four? Yeah. That's kitchenstewardship.com. And the archives are deep. <laughs> They're deep and wide. There's lots to traipse about and learn there and lots of great, simple, family-friendly recipes. Um, and then if you're ready to get your kids involved, Kids Cook Real Food Dot com is where we have our e-course. We host a life skills summer camp as well that takes things out of the kitchen and into, into the world, like lots of different life skills. I have a picky eating challenge over there where I help parents whose kids are maybe feeling a little more selective about their food, build a healthier relationship with food in a really holistic way. And uh, we, we do a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> over at Kids Cook Real Food. Anything that has to do with families, kids, food, and health, come on and check it out. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Yes. As I was getting ready for our, our discussion today, I was pouring over kitchen stewardship and I had, I don't even know how many browser tabs I have, but like the whole thing. Yeah. So yes. <laughs> and then your computer crashed. I think <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. I should do something, but I'm not finished reading that. Like, I'm coming back to that. So yeah. Okay. Katie, what a pleasure to meet you today and visit with you. Thank you so much for all of your work all these years. We are praying for you and your family and your work and your team and everybody. Thank you so much for coming to visit with us today. This has been really fun. Thanks, Bonnie and Stephen. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. 
Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Kolbe, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.